Hi, good morning again. There's a wee notice in our hotel that I just wanted to share with you because I'm going to take a photograph of it just to remind me, but here's what it says in the, in the notice in the hotel. It says, Please conserve water for, for drought-stricken California. <laughs> Are you kidding me? <laughs> Come on. We are going home for some good sunshine after, after being in California, I can tell you. <clears throat> well, it's lovely to see you all again this morning. If you hadn't come back this morning, I'd known that you didn't enjoy last week. So you've come back again, that's a good sign. And if you don't come back next week, then I'll know what you thought about this morning. <laughs> I hope you all enjoyed doing your homework. Uh, these are lovely verses in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John that we talked about last week. And always remember that the best book to read is the Bible. If you read it every day, it will help you on your way. The best book to read is the Bible. So let's read the Bible, shall we? Uh, <clears throat> Four particular portions that I want to read with you this morning. First one is the first book of the Bible, the book of Genesis and chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2, and we're going to read uh, two verses down at verse number 7. Genesis 2 verse 7, and the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground made the Lord God to grow every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food, and the tree of life also in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now we're going to turn to the New Testament, to the Gospel by John please. The Gospel by John in chapter 18. John chapter 18 and reading at verse 1. John 18 verse 1, when Jesus had spoken these words, he went forth with, with his disciples over the brook Kidron, where was a garden into the which he entered and his disciples. And Judas also, which betrayed him, knew the place, for Jesus oft-times resorted thither with his disciples. Now the very next chapter, John, and chapter 19, and down at verse number 41. <clears throat> Maybe we'll start at 39, verse number 39 just to get the connection. <clears throat> and there also came Nicodemus, which at the first came to Jesus by night and brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about a hundred pound weight. Then took they the body of Jesus and wound it in linen clothes with the spices as the manner of the Jews is to bury. Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden. And in the garden, a new sepulchre, 
wherein was never a man yet led. There led they Jesus, therefore, because of the Jews' preparation day, for the sepulchre was nigh at hand. Now, lastly, in the book of Revelation, please, the last book in your Bible, <clears throat> the book of Revelation, chapter 2. And we'll commence to read at verse number 7, just one verse. Revelation 2, verse 7, He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches, to him that overcometh. Will I give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. Now, some of you, I'm reading from the King James, but some of you in your translation, in whatever version you have, will see that it actually refers to there, <coughs> which is in the midst of the garden of God. It's the same word as we have in Genesis chapter 2. Although it's translated uh, the paradise of God here, it's actually the garden of God. It's the same word. And so I want to speak to you this morning for just a little while about the gardens of the Scripture, the gardens that we find in our Bible. You know, I'm always encouraging our brother Adel here that someday he's going to bring an expedition and we're going to get a big coach and a bus and you're all going to come over to Ireland and one of the first places that we're going to go to, you see, is we're going to go to the great Harland and Wolf shipyard where Titanic was built, that marvelous ship Titanic. The very first ship in the world that ever had an elevator and the very first ship in the world that ever had a swimming pool. And yet you know how that ship on its maiden voyage from Southampton over to New York, you remember how it sank? But when you come to Belfast, we'll tell you this, it was perfect when it left Belfast. <laughs> it was the English that sunk it. <laughs> so that's our first day. And then the second day, the second day we're going to go to, up to the north coast to the beautiful Giant's Causeway. These hexagonal stones formed by volcanic activity um, <clears throat> and the beauty up there of the splendor of that place. But the thing that amazes me is that, you know, some people are completely captivated by these stones and their order and their shape and, 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 and so on. And other people seem to miss the beauty of it. And, you know, they don't seem to really catch the... The, the beauty of it at all and, and they're quite disappointed and, 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 and so there's a very different response to the giant's causeway. But the third day, the third day we're going to go to Mount Stuart. Now Mount Stuart is the garden of the Marchioness of Londonderry. They own thousands and thousands of acres in the north of Ireland and the Marcus of London, the Marchioness of, of Londonderry built these delightful gardens. And in these gardens, she had shrubs and flowers and vegetation from all over the world. And I tell you this, when you see the Spanish garden, 
And when you see the Italian garden, and when you see the sunken garden, I'm going to tell you this, I have never taken anyone there that has ever, ever been disappointed. The gardens of Mount Stuart. But you know, there's something more beautiful than that that I want to interest you in this morning. I want to interest you in the gardens of the Bible. The delightful gardens that are in the Bible. The first one that we have read about is probably the one that is the best known. It's the Garden of Eden. I have given them my own little names so that you might maybe remember them in days to come when I'm not here, that you might be able to remember the gardens that I spoke about. But the Garden of Eden is our very first garden that's found in our Old Testament Bible. You know, what a delightful garden this must have been. By the way, we believe in a literal garden. We believe in a literal Adam and Eve. We believe that these early chapters of our Bible are to be taken absolutely literal. That there was a literal garden of Eden. How beautiful that garden must have been. The flowers of that garden. Of every shape and size and color. The perfume of that garden. Even the food that was in that garden, because before man fell, I believe that man was a vegetarian, and he found his food and all his needs in that garden. But I'm going to call it this morning a field garden, in spite of all its beauty, in spite of all its attractiveness and loveliness. It was a field garden, because sin entered into that garden. It's interesting to me that the Bible begins with a garden and it ends with a garden. It's interesting that in the first garden in the Bible, in the Garden of Eden, sin entered in and spoiled that garden. But the garden that we read about in Revelation chapter 2, sin will never enter into that garden. There shall in no ways enter, enter into it anything that defileth, or that worketh abomination, or maketh a lie, but they that are written in the Lamb's book of life. So in the first garden, sin entered in. In the last garden, sin will never enter in. In the first garden, man was pushed out. There was no room for man in that garden because of man's sin. But in the last garden, man is welcomed in. Did we not read it this morning? From every kindred, and from every tribe, and from every tongue, and from every nation. They'll come from the east and from the west, and from the north and from the south. And they'll sit down in the garden of God. What a lovely garden. The garden of God. Now, I wasn't going to maybe speak on this, but you see that first hymn that the worship team sang about, you know, the, 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 um, the amazing God? I just want to mention this about the amazing God in the chapter that we read in, in, in Genesis chapter 2. There are, four, there are four lovely pictures of God in that chapter that we read in Genesis chapter 2. 
The first picture of God in Genesis chapter 2, this amazing God that we read about, the first picture of him is this, that God is presented as a potter. He's a potter. Now, we don't see many... We don't see many potters today, but you all know what a potter is. The potter takes the clay, and in the hands, and the skillful hands of the potter, he makes the vessels. And in Genesis chapter 2, God is shown to us in a picture as a potter. And he takes of the dust of the ground, and he takes of the clay of the ground, and he begins to shape the man. And God works and produces a man as a potter. And I want to tell you this, folks, as I thought about this this week. God working as a potter, taking the clay and, and making the man, the first man, Adam. You know, do you often feel insignificant? Do you often feel unimportant? Do you often feel maybe there's not much to me or not much to life? I want to tell you today, you're God's masterpiece. You are God's masterpiece, created by the potter's own hand. And whenever you go home tonight, and some of you will be all alone, and some of you will be lonely, and some of you will be remembering better times when those that you loved were no longer there, and you might be downhearted and discouraged, I want you to remember your God's masterpiece. Because God took that clay as the potter and he breathed into man's nostrils the breath of life and man became a living soul. You have something that nothing else in creation has and that's a living soul. See, I've been amazed. I've been amazed how much you folks here in this land love the dogs. Everybody has a dog. And there's no way that I can embellish this. And there's no way that I can sweeten this for you, but you see, there's no dog heaven. Because an animal has a beginning and an animal has an end because it has no soul. But God's masterpiece, you and I, we had a beginning, but we'll never have an end into eternity. And so God takes the clay and he works as a potter. And then he puts Adam to sleep, this amazing God. He puts Adam to sleep and he takes from his side a rib and he closes up the flesh thereof. What is he here? He's no longer the potter. What is he? He's the physician. He's the great physician. The first operation ever in the world, he takes from Adam's side the rib and closes up the flesh again. You know what I believe? I believe there wasn't even a scar. Even after that was all done, I don't believe you'd have seen a scar. Such was the skill of the great physician in the garden. You know, I, I love this physician. Never charged a fee. 
You ever get a doctor that never charged a fee? Do you ever get a doctor that never lost a case? No patient ever beat him. No disease ever overcame him. He was the great physician. And he carries out that operation in the garden as the great physician. But then what does he do with that rib? God as the builder. What does he do now? He builds the woman. He builds the woman with the rib that he has taken. Whenever we went to the church where we now have fellowship, we needed some work. We had moved house and we needed some work done in the house. And somebody said to me, if you see brother Sam, Sam's a builder. And if you see Sam, he's your man. Um, he'll look after the things you see. So I said to Sam one time when it was convenient, I said, Sam, I believe you're a builder. And he said to me, he kind of surprised me in a way. He said to me, there's no such thing as a builder. He said, there's a carpenter, and there's a bricklayer, and there's a plumber, and there's a plasterer, but there's no such thing as a builder. I'm not a builder. I said, well, God is a builder because God built the woman. God built the woman. And God, as a, as a builder, he built that companion for Adam that Adam might not be alone. And in the garden, this amazing God is a potter and he's a physician and he's a builder. But there's one other picture of God and Genesis chapter 2, and that's what I want to come to. He's a gardener. He's a gardener. The Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden. What a delightful garden. And yet God's purposes were set aside because of man's sin, because of man's disobedience, Because of man's transgressions, God's purpose for that garden was set aside. And these are four lovely pictures of God in the garden. The Garden of Eden, the garden that I'm going to call a field, a field garden. When we come to John chapter 18, um, that's what we usually call the Garden of Gethsemane. You remember that they left the upper room and they went out singing those lovely psalms. And the Lord Jesus, on the way to the cross, I sometimes am touched by that, that knowing that on the morrow he would be put to death on Calvary's tree, and knowing that on the morrow cruel nails would pierce his tender hands and feet, and on the morrow that cruel Roman spear would pierce His blessed side, that still within his heart, he was able to sing those lovely psalms as they made their way to the garden. I've called this a familiar familiar garden. The reason why I've called it familiar is because, as we read together, it says, Judas knew the place, for they oft times resorted thither. It was a place that they were familiar with, that they knew with, 
that they, that they were often uh, familiar with, and they enter into the garden. But you know, I was going to call it, I was going to call it a forsaken garden, a, a, a forgotten garden. And the reason why that I was going to call it a forgotten garden, do you sing this hymn? I don't know if you do. We sing it oft times at home on Sunday morning. We meet to remember the Lord. It goes like this, can I forget? Can I forget Gethsemane? Can I forget thine agony? Can I forget thy love to me? Lead me to Calvary. Is it possible, dear brethren and sisters, that when we come to remember the Lord and when we take the bread in memory of his blessed body and take the cup in memory of his precious blood that was shed, that we were so precious to us this morning, can it be that we forget Gethsemane? Can we forget thine agony? Some of the language that we find in the Bible about that familiar garden or that forgotten garden is beyond our explanation this morning. Being in an agony. It's the only time in the Bible you find that word. I heard a man one time saying, every Christian has his own Gethsemane. It's not right. Gethsemane was unique. Gethsemane was exclusively the bitterness of soul of Christ as he anticipated the cross upon the morrow. The Scottish poet, he penned these words, garden of gloom, appalling, wherein is sore amaze, earthward in anguish falling, earthward the Savior prays. Prayers in exceeding sorrow, prayers on the ground bowed low, facing the dark tomorrow, full of unfathomed woe. Agony. The Bible says a sweat was, as it were, great drops of blood falling down to the ground. And that doesn't mean, dear friends, that doesn't mean that he sweat blood. It just means that his sweat was so profuse that it was like blood falling down to the ground as he thought of that dark tomorrow facing unfathomed woe, the garden of Gethsemane. A familiar garden, perhaps a forgotten garden. But the third garden that we read about was in John chapter 19. And in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden. And in the garden, a new sepulcher. This is the burial of the Lord Jesus. The burial of him who died for you and me on Calvary's cross. I love to think of those two men burying the most precious thing on earth while heaven looked silently on. 
You know, brethren and sisters, when we all get home to heaven, we should seek out Nicodemus. And we should seek out, we should seek out Joseph. And we should thank them for burying the body of the Lord Jesus with dignity. Again, the Scottish poet said, gently, they take him down. Unfix his hands and feet. Take from his head the thorny crown. Bring forth a winding sheet. And those two men, while heaven looked on, led him in Joseph's tomb. Have you ever noticed that Joseph had the place and Nicodemus had the perfume? Isn't that nice? Joseph had the place. It was Joseph's tomb. And Nicodemus had the perfume and the lamb in that tomb. What I'm going to call this garden, I'm going to call it a fruitful garden. A fruitful garden. Because there's a verse in John 12, 24, John 12, 24 says, Except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. And this corn of wheat is about to go into the ground and be buried. But listen, it's not going to stay there. You know, there's a hymn, do you sing it here? Vainly. Vainly they watch his bed, Jesus my Savior. Vainly they seal the dead, Jesus my Lord. And up from the grave he arose. We believe not only in the resurrection of Christ, we believe in the bodily resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. And there are men that wrap your doors and go around your streets and homes and they call themselves Jehovah Witnesses. They do not believe in the bodily resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. Old Judge Russell, one of their founders, he wrote in one of his early books, about the body of the Lord Jesus. He said either it evaporated in gases or God hid it away somewhere. We don't believe that. We believe what the Bible says. He showed unto them his hands and his feet and his side. A fruitful garden because he's the first fruits of them that sleep. And because he arose, all the dead shall rise again to everlasting life, those that have put their faith in Christ. The righteous unto life eternal. What a day that will be. What a day he rose again. The spices couldn't hold him. The swaddling bands couldn't hold him. The seal couldn't hold him. The stone couldn't hold him. The soldiers couldn't hold them. Even old Satan couldn't hold them. Hallelujah, Christ arose. A fruitful garden.
But I want to finish. I want to finish with the final garden. The garden of God. The garden of God. You know, sometimes heaven is described as a city. Um, it's a city four square. You know, there's an old hymn we sing at home. It says, there's a land of fadeless day. Lies a city four square. It shall never pass away. For there is no night there. And God shall wipe away all tears. There's no death, no fear or fears. And the Lamb is all the light of the city four square. Sometimes heaven's described as a city. Sometimes it's described as a house. A house not made with hands. But I think this is one of the most delightful descriptions of heaven. That heaven is God's garden. It's God's garden. Now listen, folks, I want to touch a wee tender note in an audience like this. Each of us, from the speaker, right down to the back of the hall, we've all got loved ones in that garden. There are dear ones in the garden whose dear form we often miss. Will we meet them in the glory? Will we meet them in the bliss? There are loved ones that are gone. We miss their faces. We miss their counsel. We miss their love. But we're thankful that in the garden of God. And I want you to all to be encouraged, dear brethren and sisters, today that one of these days, one of these days the clouds shall burst. Glorious moment when the Lord shall come and call from the world his own. And all who are redeemed will be forever in the garden of God, the final garden. We had a dear brother in our fellowship. His name was Joe. He had what we call a bad ticker. You call it a ticker? Ticker here. He had a bad ticker. And one day, dear brother Joe, he took out the lawnmower to cut the grass. And he was a long time coming in. And his dear wife, his dear wife went out to see where he was. And there was Joe lying in the garden. Gone. And you know, I tried to, I saw some of the family later on and I tried to sympathize. It's very difficult. Cases like that where death is so sudden. But I said, console yourself in this. Joe went from Joe's garden right into the garden of God. What a prospect, dear brethren, dear sisters, dear brother, dear sister. What a prospect today that we're heading to the garden of God. Is there somebody here not ready? Is there somebody here going to miss it all? When we are singing in the garden of God to this amazing God, is there somebody here that has never committed their life to Him? 
and never bowed in view of Calvary and confessed their sins and accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior and Lord, don't miss the garden. Don't miss salvation. Don't miss the only thing in life that's worth going in for. We would love you all to be with us in the garden of God. May the Lord bless his word to all our hearts. We'll just commit ourselves to the Lord in prayer. Father, we do give thanks for these simple, but yet we trust soft and sweet meditations upon thy word. We give thanks for these gardens, how precious they are to us. We remember that first garden where men fell and sin entered in. But oh, we bless thee for the second garden, the last garden, into which all mankind shall enter in, all who have been redeemed. And the price of that was the death of Christ upon the cross. And we're just so thankful for Gethsemane, for that garden where the Lord Jesus sweat and entered into agony. And then on the cross, bled and died and shed that precious blood that we were thinking about this morning. Grant that these things might encourage and warm and bless and cheer all our hearts this morning. And if any have not yet committed their lives to Christ, that this might be a day of decision and a day of blessing in their life too. We give thanks then and ask a closing blessing. And we do so in the Savior's worthy name. Amen.